Good morning. Well, good morning, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. Are you repping the tuple tea right now? I am. Yeah. Nice. Oh, yes. Very cool. It's, it's one of my favorites. Comfy. Very comfy. It's pretty good. Mm-hmm. I'm into it. I don't have a Savvy Cal tea. I haven't made them yet. I, I jumped the gun a little bit on the level swag before it was proven <laughs> to be a viable business. So, <laughs> so I was uh, I haven't made any stickers or T-shirts yet for the <laughs> for Savvy Cal, but it's probably time. Honestly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, how's your week been? Uh, it's been good. It's been, yeah, has it been two weeks. Um, no, we recorded no, last just, week. Yeah, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, got back from so I was traveling. So the last time we recorded, I was in California. Uh, visiting family for a couple of weeks and got back this Monday. So it's kind of been, it's felt a little bit like a catch up week because I kind of get, I struggle to get stuff done when I'm visiting family and there's chaos around me and stuff like that. So, so I've been playing a little bit of catch up and most of my week honestly has been kind of spent um, onboarding my new support rep. So I think I talked about it a little bit last time, but still continuing to, to kind of have him be the first line and, you know, draft responses and then I'll leave my feedback or just make myself as available as possible to, to answer questions, to keep things moving. So that has been kind of a lot of my week, actually, and we're still trying to move the ball forward on, on other things, too. But I've been uh, been continuing to do the enterprise sales, mm. <laughs> or I guess just sales. I don't know. Some of them enterprises. Mm-hmm. Like I said before, it's it's mostly project management and then occasional high stakes negotiation mm-hmm. <laughs> with a little bit sprinkled in here or there <laughs> yeah very occasionally it's it's mostly mm-hmm. very it mostly feels very mundane or like it's just kind of like all right the crm says i need to like ping these three people today to ask them about the thing that i sent them and just you know write a friendly hey just checking in on the whatever and then go mark in the crm right i reached out to them and i should talk to them i should try again in a week it's kind of just a lot of that most of the time Fill out this piece of paper and email it to Pam and wait for Pam to send it back, all that kind of stuff. Yes. Uh, fortunately, I've been kicking some of that over to, to Joel and Lido to do, which has been really helpful. I've experienced that you can say no to things and sometimes it's still fine. Like they have this like default process where it's like, okay, we must get, collect these five documents from the, the vendor. And sometimes I'll just be like, oh yeah, we can't do that, this one. And they're like, all right, that should be fine. Yeah. yeah. I've run into the opposite lately, but I admittedly don't have don't have to like do too much paper shuffling type things <laughs> for most of my customers. But there was one there's one case someone reached out. They're like, hey, we want to buy like potentially, you know, 20 licenses of Savvy Cal. And I was like, oh, OK, interesting. But it was like their procurement person had reached out first. They're like, we have to add you as a vendor in the system. So can you fill out this form? And it was like a PDF that had no fields embedded in it already, but it was decently oh, long. Yeah. Yeah. And so. I tried just like emailing back. I emailed back the responses that I would have filled in and also like attached a PDF with the from my bank that had like the bank information they wanted. The bank does a really good job. Mercury does a really good job of giving you like a PDF with like all of the all of the fields you would ever need to make any kind of like custom transaction. So I sent all that over and then they replied back. Um, yes, please fill this out in the form. Can you please put this in the form? And I was like, I don't want to do this. <laughs> so annoying i know yeah bad forms i like briefly looked around for like a really good pdf filler for mac os 
because preview is pretty solid if they've like laid it out the right way like you know if they're actually our real fields but a lot of people don't like you said where it's just like a bunch of it's just an image effectively yep yep um yeah man that's 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 the worst but yeah i I, someone was like oh can you fill out this massive security questionnaire and i was like oh sorry no like here's a security page we're we're pretty swamp right now we can't do a a custom thing and they're like okay yeah that should be fine and i was like what yes (laughs) (laughs) that's great but also it's like why did you why like right (laughs) and i just you sort of just get the the strong sense that's like if we did fill this thing out, someone was going to glance at it and then stick it in a, in a virtual drawer somewhere and just to be like, well, we did it. You know, we, we, I can check the compliance box that says we did our thing. It's just like we're all kind of just pretending like these things matter or work or help. And, you know, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty lame. Yep. Yep. That is the, that's the friction in the system of business. <laughs> yeah. But then there's these big buckets of money. And they're like, if you do this annoying thing, we'll give you the big bucket of money. It's like, I do want the bucket. Right, right. But if you just made this easier, like, like, yeah. We, mm-hmm. I would be happy getting less money from you for, for mm-hmm. roughly the same thing <laughs> if you didn't make me do all this stuff. Yep, yep. Yeah, so you can say no is a thing. You can also say big numbers, which is nice. Like, yeah. There's a lot of companies out there that have 40, 50, 60 developers that you'll you'll never heard of. Like there's probably just like many thousands of them. And like a 60 developer company, like just in engineering is like a million dollar a month payroll. Yeah, right. And so when you're like, oh, this thing is 100,000 a year. They're like, that doesn't scare us. Sure. That's kind of a rounding error compared to our real costs. Right. It's not even the cost of one additional engineer on this team of 60. So it's like, eh, whatever. Yeah, exactly. Like, right. So it's not the case that like, you know, people definitely think of tool budgets as different than, you know, salary budgets, but it is, it is nice to be kind of doing business with people who were, who, who are not afraid of big numbers and just have a budget and like, they don't, they don't feel an emotional thing to it. Like I have to like psych myself up to be like, okay, I'm going to ask for this many dollars and it's kind of stressful. Like it makes mm-hmm. me kind of want to vomit a little bit when I write <laughs> a large number or ask for the things like, oh God, here we go. Um, but uh, to them, they're just like, yeah, like I know how much is in the budget for this, and this is an acceptable amount of that budget, and so fine. Yeah, yeah. Something I want to ask you about the the sales piece because this every time you talk about it, this kind of rings in my head like a case study of um, Atlassian. You know, the the people behind Jira, famously, like pretty sure they maybe it's changed now, but like for many, many, many years, they never employed any salespeople, and yet. Presumably, like engineering teams very similar to the ones buying Tuple would buy Jira. So I wonder, have you like examined how they've done it at all? No, but maybe I should. The thing I know about them, or at least I've heard anecdotally, is they have this like they would split their inbound leads into a self-serve versus high-touch kind of process and then consider it a bug when the high-touch process did better than the self-serve. And like, Oh, interesting like figure out like what do we need to change about the cell serve like what's yeah why is it not doing as well and maybe they're maybe they were kind of quasi doing inbound sales but not just just not calling it that because you know i mean clearly there you guys aren't really doing outbound sales either where you're like going out and like no, calling no. leads and all that it's just you're just handling inbound interest so maybe maybe they have been kind of doing sales but just like when leads come inbound and need need higher touch or something you could certainly decide that you're not going to do the annoying enterprise sales stuff and just take a completely firm line and say no to like 
anything that's not just like give us your credit card you'd probably still close some of them like you probably would still get 20 percent of them maybe 15 percent of them something like that um so you could still and like if, if your self-serve business is strong enough like sure whatever or if you just decide that's how you want to live your life you could just do that so maybe they just kind of decided yeah we have no interest in this type of job or this type of this task and so we're going to accept the fact that we'll make less money and just do this right or they just have like you know they just have tiered their pricing in a way where it's like this is just non-negotiable so there won't be a negotiation around pricing because this is just our set terms and take it or leave it but at a certain scale it feels like everything should be negotiable like if we're talking about you know 150 versus one hundred twenty thousand dollars, and there needs to be a discussion around that it's like not worth blowing up the deal over not entertaining a conversation it would seem like um i guess i mean again it's this you could just decide that you could just be like we don't negotiate pricing this is the pricing and this saves us a lot of time because we never have to have this conversation and we know it costs us business at, for certain marginal deals but it nets us more time and that kind of thing and simplicity and maybe they built out like a as like a a really good like um maybe you can pay by invoice or like PO or whatnot using a self-serve type system. Like they've built a thing where it's like, okay, we, we have a huge knowledge base that has all the security questions and our vendor information and all that. And, and no, we're not going to do any of it for you, but you know, here's everything you would need to get this done on your end. I mean, at the end of the day, it's kind of like there's a procurement person who is probably towards the lower end of the hierarchy in this company. And they've been tasked with buying the thing for the the, for the like the engineering department which i have to imagine in most tech companies has kind of a lot of political capital and so that person is motivated to get the thing done like they they're i don't think they're told like yo go buy this go buy this thing but only if you can get this like, get a big price concession out of them or something or like go buy this thing but only if they'll fill out all the forms i think it's more like by default because they're in the purchaser position they have some sway over you and so they could just be like i need you to, i need you to fill out these five forms but if you were just like, no, um, <laughs> maybe it's higher than 20%. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's a decent chunk of people will be like, well, I still need to get this purchased for the engineering team or I'm going to get in trouble. Uh, and you're like, don't worry, here's our knowledge base with all the information. You can fill out this annoying PDF that doesn't actually have form fields in it. And you can create an account for me in your vendor management system uh, from the admin side, I'm sure. I don't have to log in there and create an account, blah, blah, blah. So maybe, maybe you can just kind of be just push back on all this stuff and it's fine for some some percentage some large percentage of cases right i think a lot of times like a procurement person is accustomed to playing the game of like i know i'm talking to a salesperson on the other end who has to meet their number for the month or the quarter and they can kind of they can pull strings based on time and say like well i know when your commission check is gonna you know <laughs> is gonna get issued and if you want this in your commission check well, you, let's make a deal but you have to give me a nice concession on the price in order to close a deal and so it's kind of nice if you can, as much of that like power you can eliminate from them <laughs> and just say like, no, we don't have the same incentive structures. We don't have, you know, you don't have that much power over us. Um, it's kind of nice mm -hmm. <laughs> if you can do it. Yeah. You know, I have this like, I'm like tempted sometimes like, all right, let's just pick a number. And once we hit that revenue number, we're not going to do anything annoying to make more revenue. Hmm. <laughs> like we're, we're just like, we've decided that that's enough. We'll happy. We'll happily make more, but we're not going to do anything that we don't like to increase that number. There's an appeal to that. To but me. I wonder, as a counter to that, like as long as you personally don't have to do the annoying thing, 
Is it like how much does it matter on personal annoyance versus like organizational annoyance? Like the fact that someone in your org is being annoyed and maybe they're not even that annoyed. Actually, if that's their job, like is to just interface with procurement people. It's kind of like it's not annoying because I'm being paid to do it. It's just my job. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, overall, I think the yeah hiring a person to do the thing is, is the, the right answer. And that's what that's the path I'm, we're pursuing. Um, but I, I guess if you wanted to optimize for like really small team kind of thing. Right. And sort of to not have to hire that person. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You could just be like, we don't do that kind of sales. We're not going to support like we'll support you with, you know, documentation, but we won't we won't do one off things. You could just make that call and that would you could probably still have a nice little business. Yeah. I will say it's really nice having smart people work on elements of your business that don't directly involve you. I love it so much. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. We've been Corey and I have been um we have this kind of long running kind of discussion around trying to think, think ahead, think bigger about like, what are the next, you know, we have our current initiatives, things we're working on. And then it's like, what do we want to do next? And there's always kind of something on the horizon that Corey's spending a little bit of time thinking about. And he's been recently doing like some, some keyword research to experiment with SEO as kind of like a meaningful um, channel. And um, so in our, in our most recent kind of sync up, he shared a doc with me that had like this whole analysis of keywords that could be, you know, but by the numbers look potentially promising and like able something we would be able to, um, to rank for. And so he's put in all that work and I was like, he was like, yeah, just take a look at this. And I looked over it and it like looks solid to me. And then we just had a discussion around, all right, well, so what do we do with this? Do we start producing some content? And it basically comes down to like how much budget, how much budget do we want to allocate to this? And depending, like if we go on the smaller side, it may take longer. You know, we may have to, we may only be able to hire one freelance writer to work on this stuff. And like, it might stretch the timeline out. So it's like, or we could pour a little bit more dollars in and get it done faster and get results quicker. And I just love these kinds of decision points where it's like, cool, we've kind of narrowed it down to like sort of a, sort of a dollar amount question. And so as a founder, I could just think of this as like, how, how urgently do I want to have results from this experiment? And if I pour more, more dollars in, I can make that happen faster, which is kind of a no brainer in this situation. Like, so we're like, let's be a little more aggressive. And it's like, cool, I'll go out and, uh, and try to find the right writers for this project and keep you in the loop. And that's what he's been doing. And it's just, I love it because I'm not I'm not doing any of that actual work, which is fantastic because I've got so much on my plate anyways. Yeah, that's that's so nice. I mean, especially for you as a single founder, having someone that operates at that level of autonomy, it seems totally key. I reached out to Corey at one point and was like, yo, do you want to do some sprinkle some of that magic on Tuple? And he's like, I'm busy. Thanks. <laughs> Dope. Okay. I think he's been ramping down his other his other client work because, you know, he's decently busy with swipe files and stuff too. So I might be his only client at this point, but I feel very lucky to have him still. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's on my opportunities list as a dedicated marketing person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, someone who can kind of help us double down on our advantages and assets and things like that. You're probably going to focus on that once you kind of get the head of sales stuff figured out. That is, yes, that's sort of next on the list probably. Um, actually, probably designer after after sales um, is probably the next most most high priority thing. We do some marketing. We're I'm I'm sort of always doing a little bit of that, but eventually that would be great to have a much more more sort of firepower behind. It is interesting seeing Josh Pigford uh, running maybe, and I think they already have like twelve people. 
Yeah. Um. <laughs> I, I'm honestly not really sure. Like that, it looks insane from the outside. Just the amount of sheer amount of like staffing up that he's been doing. Um, yeah. Well, he raised like 400 K ish from angel type people, I think. Uh, and then is trying to get a million more via crowdfunding, I believe it is. And also like looking at seeing Jordan too, like hearing him talk about bootstrapped web, let's like started rally, raised some money and they have a similar number of people now, I think already. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, I mean like I can see how that could be really nice. Yeah. <laughs> Where it's like without even yeah. thinking about it, we're going to have, you know, a person in every major role um, in the company uh, and give them stuff to do and start pushing the thing forward. It's like, yeah, okay. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense, I guess. Yeah, it does. I mean, it, it definitely like pushes the risk, pushes the risk higher when you're like pre-revenue and doing this, you know, for Jordan, he's, I think has traditional venture capital. So that's kind of like baked into the model of like, nope, this is what you do. You, you hire a team and you kind of build out these like parts of the organization really, really early on, which I think bootstrappers are just, one, from a practical standpoint, generally can't afford to do that, but also like feel like that's a little bit backwards kind of in our mindset of like, let's be scrappy and, and get as much as much like validation and proof from the market early and then staff and then like add staff later as needed. But it is. Yeah, it's, it's been really interesting to kind of watch these um, people from our space be increasingly aggressive with like just kind of betting on themselves is sort of what it is like it's betting on the fact that like nope i'm i'm gonna figure out how to make this work and so i'll be pretty aggressive with with uh, getting people on board before there's revenue to support it mm-hmm. it's it's certainly interesting I, at the same time like i feel like it's just like my own weird personal stuff but like we could certainly afford to hire more people than we have by by a good amount we're still hiring like one person right now effectively uh like the goal is to hire a few people this year, but we're going like somewhat slowly about it. And it's like, well, because we care about the culture and we want to like make sure this person has enough resources to get onboarded and trained and integrated and feeling good. And plus it preserves margin to just keep sort of stay lean and it makes the communication easier. There's fewer nodes in the graph. If I raised a bunch of money, the only thing that would change, I guess, would be kind of a mindset shift, which is like, okay, we've decided to aggressively hire uh, despite the some of the downsides that are there, yeah. So it's it's interesting to hear someone doing it from the start and just being like, no, no, I, I'm I'm setting a baseline of I want to build a company that can support 15 people, and I want to do it before we run out of money in a year. And so we're gonna we're gonna throw a bunch of stuff at this, and, and hopefully we'll we'll win this race. Yeah, yeah. I could see the advantage of like if you if you're all in on this approach of kind of staffing up the company aggressively. What it allows you to do is sort of say, like, instead of just hiring like a head of sales, we're going to hire a sales leader who will also hire a staff of underlings, basically. So, so like, allows you to build out these little teams, which is expensive to do because you have X number of salaries now to support. But it allows you to kind of like do things the like get to that more eventual state where like instead of that in in between phase where you have someone who's both like leadership quality and a doer, you know, you can just kind of allow them to hire the doers also um totally yeah that's that's a fair point so it's probably it's probably easier in a certain sense you're looking because like yeah instead of looking for hybrids kind of unicorny type multi-talented people you can you could slot people into specialist roles pretty quickly like i saw josh hiring like a front-end engineer and like if you're like a two or three person software startup you probably have you know full stack people and because you, you, you couldn't afford to have someone to specialize in the front end 
But then to be like, we need someone that can do kind of everything. It's like, well, that's hard to find. Uh, but but the, the easier, the sort of more, yeah, the, the more niche it is, the easier it is to probably find a, a person that can do it. I'll be curious to see how it, like how it impacts pace. Because I, I always feel like this is the biggest advantage that, you know, I have had in this last year is just being like kind of the, the sole decision maker on product things and business things like it allows me to move really really quickly and as soon, once you start kind of having to manage communication between all the nodes you know you have people to share knowledge and share ideas and debate things like it just it adds additional weight to kind of the whole process um, just by nature of like being being a good facilitator of collaboration when there's collaboration it's just like there's many brains in the room and they all have ideas about how things should be done and you need to give the right amount of like room for people to express those ideas but all of that just takes communication which moves slowly compared to like a single founder like blazing through stuff really quickly so yeah right but then you should you should have more overall throughput assuming you do that well right yeah i guess so like as long as you have it's like that threshold of giving getting everyone up to speed and actually productive you know yeah it's like in the in the simple model of just you doing everything it's like how fast can derek work and if you instead expanded your team to six people it's like how well can derek distribute tasks and minimize miscommunication uh, and keep people productive and it's like you know just because you take a given processing job and split it over a bunch of cores if you double the number of cores, you don't necessarily get double the performance or double the throughput, right? You have overhead of communication and work splitting and duplication and all this stuff. I feel like it's like a higher level and probably harder problem. Like, I think that's one of the things that like would worry me about bringing on a bunch of people really fast is like, at the same time as these people start, I'm going to have to learn how to manage a bigger team well, quickly to keep things moving well. You would need like a really good project manager type of person who's really good at like at keeping track of multiple streams of work and how they tie together and making sure everyone's like efficiently staying on the same page when they need to and, and handing work off well i struggled with that quite a bit when we started like scaling out our teams at drip and we had designers front-end engineers and back-end engineers who all had to work in concert with each other and like the handoff process on working on features was that was like a non-trivial thing to to try to get in flow on. It did feel, yeah, much more kind of clunky. And like there were there were always spots where like the designer was done, but the front engineer was blocked and the back engineer was blocked. And they were sort of all kind of blocking each other at different phases. And I mean, that's just sort of it's just naturally is going to happen. But yeah, it kind of took like a proactive like product manager person who was just constantly like constantly checking in on on everything, but trying not to be too much of a burden of like you know, too taxing on people trying to get their status updates. So, so that's, it's a tough role to fill. Yeah. It feels like the next leverage strategy though, or like the next, it's like in the beginning, you're getting a lot of productivity by being small and minimizing communication overhead. Um, and also having, it's kind of down to your, like your personal productivity and abilities and the fact that you can wield code to do things for you. So you get a lot out of that. And eventually you reach the, the maximum of that thing. Um, and so the next thing is, okay, well, you add people to the machine. So the next question of your speed becomes how good are you at, you know, giving these people tasks well or sort of managing them well or training them well, that kind of thing. 
But then that seems to be the last sort of change, the last major change there where it's like, okay, once once you are are about leveraging people to get more done, that's that's what it is forever, I think. Like going from two to 10 to 100 to 1,000, it's still kind of always about that. And not, not to say that you won't need brand new processes at those levels because I'm sure you will. At the end of the day, you've decided like your main thing is now like, okay, we... We want to do more. We add more people. Yeah. The phase that I've been in is just by nature, it's unscalable because it's one core, <laughs> you know? And so once you go to multi-core, <laughs> then, then yeah, it's just a question of like building teams and like teams don't necessarily grow larger. Like even a company like Stripe is going to have like teams kind of all at the very bottom of the org chart. You still have like teams of like probably 10 or 10 or less working together on different things. And then it's just like you stack teams next to each other and you have layers of management overseeing all of the the hierarchy. Right. But yeah, it's like flipping into team mode does feel like it's. So then the question is like something I think about when's the right time for me to to officially flip into team mode. And I will have to recognize that as like a like the nature of my job will change quite a bit probably because it'll be about it'll be much less about me seeing how much I can get done in the code base and much more about like facilitating the work of my team members. Um, yep, totally. Yeah, I mean, I had the urge of the day to go like do some sketching, like some some UI sketching, and like go play in like uh, Figma or something. And I was like, this is tempting and I want to do it. And maybe it would be okay for a little while, but it's clearly not the the answer long term. And like just kind of accepting like, okay, I'm probably going to be more writing docs of like, hey, let's build this thing. Or like finding the next person and be like, okay, we should have a person in this role who should make smart decisions about how to do this next thing. And it's like the, the individual contributor stuff is fun, but also not really the the next level for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't really help your this machine you're building, the cyborg you're building, doesn't really help the cyborg if you just go take off a task and and do the sketching yourself, you know, as opposed to like facilitating the the person who's responsible for that. It's interesting to see. So there's two people in my orbit who just started new things. One is Alex McCaw, who's the co-founder of Clear, or the, I think just founder, co-founder of Clearbit, CEO of Clearbit, venture backed something like 110 people. And he stepped away and started a new thing. And he is reveling in being an individual contributor again. He's writing a ton of code and loving it and like adding some small some small stuff over here and there. But I think just most of the contractors or like paid open source bounty type things and, and sort of being in the code and, and liking it. And Josh had a team of I don't know, 20 or something maybe at Barometrics and sold that. And he's rushing right back into having a team. It would be kind of interesting to have them both on and sort of talk about their their thoughts and motivations there. Right. I know. Yeah, I feel like Alex is definitely... I kind of resonate with his... I don't know him at all, but I feel like what I do know of him, like he's he seems like a real maker type and, you know, kind of started out that way. And uh, he came from Stripe, right? He worked at Stripe before before Clearbit, I think. I can definitely resonate with that feeling. I mean, post drip experience, like getting back into like just kind of the the smaller, easier phase where you're like you're being a creator, you're being creative, and yeah, I wonder if like it's hard to scratch that itch still when you're when you're the, leading a team. You know, have you felt like you've been able to stay creative as as the CEO of Tuple? Kind of, yes. 
uh, yeah, like even like just like writing good job descriptions is definitely deep creative work. Yesterday I was working on a doc for like plans for next quarter. That feels like that too. So so mostly yes. It's not the same as the like I'm in the product and like man, it always annoyed me that this thing was like this color or two pixels over here or whatever. And so I do kind of miss the immediacy of that kind of work. That's really satisfying to like be able to like scratch your own itch in the product um, and sort of, you know, like compile it. All right, great. Looks good. Let's ship it um, is different than like, yes, we've decided we should hire a person in this position. Let me go write this thing. And then we go post this over here. And it's not the same kind of work, but I'm still making stuff kind of all the time. Yeah. Yeah. The gratification, instantaneousness of the gratification is, is not as high, right? It's, you have to wait longer to see the fruits of your labor now because it's more investing in initiatives as opposed to writing a line of code and shipping it and seeing it like very quickly. Yeah. It's also way less in my wheelhouse where it's like programming is just, I'm just deeply comfortable there. Um, and even having to take on new technology or paradigms or whatever, it's like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm adding to my existing, you know, substantial knowledge here. Whereas it feels like I'm pretty much always at the frontier on the kind of work I'm doing now where it's like, never hired this kind of person. Uh, let's start seeing how you do this. Like, like learning all about this type of thing you do in a business. Um, so that flow or comfort, like the comfort, I guess, is kind of always slowish, is how it has felt lately. And then, yeah, it's like, oh, great. You found a great person. Okay. Well now you have a bigger team. Have you managed a bigger, like, do you know how to like communicate with this team and like all that sort of all the meta stuff becomes more challenging so that's that's all new and that i think will just keep changing where it's like okay we have a current set of processes and these will probably work until they don't but there'll be there'll, there'll be a breakdown point uh, where the weaknesses are too much and we'll have to re rework that so there's sort of no like steady state comfort i think in this kind of position which is kind of what you enjoy right you like being kind of at the frontier I do. I, like overall, I like it. Um, like I, I'm sort of always about like learning the, learning a thing to like eighty percent, and then kind of moving on to the next thing. So it's it's actually a pretty good fit for me so far. It's the 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 fre- the frequency of the going back to zero is a little tough. I'm sort of like steadily building the tree of knowledge, I guess, of like how you do this thing. I think there'll be fewer and fewer actually like real zeros. I hope. <laughs> You can get good at being a CEO, I think. So even though that involves like a hundred things, eventually I'll have at least like touched most of them and have a, like, you know, 5% experience in some of them. So uh, someday I think I, I might be pretty good at being a CEO. Right. Not unlike being a full stack developer or something where it's like you, when you're full stack, it's like you, you kind of know the full stack, but you're not like necessarily, your job is not to go super deep on one element of that. That's what you have a team for, you know, that you, mm-hmm. you kind of, you, you have a base familiarity with all the areas and yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think it's an interesting, it's an interesting phase to be in as we, as we expand the team and have more people responsible for individual things and whatnot. It's going to be kind of a cool, cool time. I think I'm excited to have even more of that, like smart people operating independently on the mm-hmm. business feeling yeah. going on. Yeah. That is pretty, pretty addicting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> cool, man. Well, do you want to wrap it? Yeah, let's wrap it. All right. Notes of the show. Notes of the show can be found at artproductpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you. So how did you get on the Tropical MBA podcast? 
I got on when Dan's assistant reached out. And oh, wow. You're that yeah. famous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just asked you. Yeah. It was, I was, which I was pretty, um, I was pretty stoked about because uh, she, she mentioned something like, oh, yeah, D- Dan and Ian, they're, they're like fans of Art of Product and been like following, you know, your journey level and all that stuff. And I was like, what? No, I've been following you since like before I got into the industry. So okay, so, so now I'm mad because <laughs> <laughs> they listened to the podcast and they invited you, but not me. <laughs> I didn't even realize I needed to be offended here. Uh-oh. Oh, I've cool. said too much. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. That's neat. Yeah, no, I, I, I listened to the show on and off. So um, I was like, oh, that's cool. I would, I would, I would go on there. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's mm-hmm. neat. I bet, I bet they, I bet they would have you. I mean, I can't speak for him, but I bet they would have you on. So, you know, yeah, I feel like I need to do more interesting stuff. I think I've done like, like a a decent amount of podcast guesting recently, like over the last handful of months, I feel like I need to hit a couple more like milestones or do more interesting things or something to have more stuff to talk about. (laughs) Right. Right. It's kind of like, I feel like I'm rehashing some of the same, too many of the same stories these days. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of good to have your, your main stories in the bag. Like I got to tell I got to tell my level story again, which I hadn't told for a while because it's been adequately told in a lot of these places. But it's like, oh, kind of a new audience to to talk about mm-hmm. this too. It's kind of kind of nice to revisit some of that from time to time. Yeah. yeah. We switched to Discord, by the way. Oh, did you? Yeah. Hmm. It's uh it's a pretty good product. They do they do a nice job. Um it is it is the old, you know, the whole like we have a chat thing as opposed to like a threaded deep discussion thing. But so we've been creating channels for specific projects, like trying to be like pretty aggressive about a new channel for a thing. And like just the other day, I like made a channel for like feedback from customer X and just like typed up a summary of that. And it was just like, that's just where that lives for a little while. And then we'll archive that. And it's just like kind of like a thread sort of. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So because you guys were on Twist before, right? Most recently Quill. Oh, Okay. How was Quill? Yeah. What's a, what's your short review of that? Um, surprisingly native seeming for an Electron app. Like I thought it was native. It's not. Um, pretty good UX ideas, UI UX ideas in it. Um, at the end of the day, a little bit not quite right. I think it probably like, I think if they keep going maybe six months or a year from now, it's going to be like a really great product. Um, Cause I think they have some core, some interesting good ideas in there. Um, but for us, it just kept being like, Oh, that's, I don't understand how that works. Or like, this just doesn't in practice quite do what we want. And then I had like a bug that seemed like it should be very simple. Like it was like a, I click this important button and nothing happens. And I like reached out to them. They're like, oh yeah, sorry, we're fixing it. And then like a week later, I was like, it's still happening. They're like, oh yeah, sorry, we're still on it. And I was like, uh, Uh (laughs) I literally can't read the messages until you fix this button. And it was just like, that was the kind of, all right, let's look around. Yeah. Yeah. But they seem, there's enough interesting stuff there that I feel like they're a creative team. So like I'm, I'm sort of, I'm, I'm bullish on them in the long term. Yeah. Yeah, but but for now it didn't, didn't quite do what we wanted. I've been feeling the pain, the intense pain of many many inboxes lately. Yeah, I was, dude. Tw- I was tweeting about this a little bit. Like I'm noticing on a on a weekly basis, there's at least at least on average maybe three occasions where like someone had reached out to me in some random DM in a in a Slack workspace that I'm a part of, and like 
And then I just realized like a week later, oh, shoot, I never got back to that person because I read the message at a time where it was like not a good time for me to to put thought into it and respond. And that's your like core problem. Yeah. Is not responding check. immediately. No. Well, sure. That's one option. Yeah. yeah. Either like I think the core problem is checking things. I guess. But you know? like, yeah. So, but, so well, and, ideally and you I, would have no one inbox, I guess, in, in life. Yeah. But if you have multiple inboxes, which we do, then like it's it's like if you don't clear them as a activity, right? You're gonna get in trouble. Like if I don't, so like I see if I'm in like uh, you know Slack in one of the private like workspaces that you and I are in or something, and then I see like a Ben mm-hmm. with a one next to it. Mm-hmm. It's like, but I, then I go look at that, and I'm, I guess like the the thing is not looking at it if it's not if I know that I can't respond right now, but sometimes I don't know if I can respond right now because I haven't read the message. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. is it just well, a quick ask or is it something urgent or, you know, what well, is so it? What I actually do is I either respond to the thing right away or I create a to-do item to respond to the thing. So, and that's like the kind of the getting things done style thing. Like I never assign a to-do in my head. Like I just got to remember to come back and like respond to Derek in this random inbox over here. I just try to never, ever have any of those stored in my, in my head. Where do you keep immediate that? response or some sort of reference to this that says go do this thing? Yeah. Do you have what's your go to canonical place then to, to keep those to do's? OmniFocus. Okay. Okay. And that's on your it's, good. it's on your phone and your computer, right? So you're like it's mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. it's all kind of linked up. Yep. Okay. And I have it hooked up to um, Shmishmexa, uh, and I can t- <laughs> tell her to like add a thing to mm-hmm. that inbox or mm-hmm. via Siri. Um, so it's like basically okay. I have like a ton of capture points. Yeah. Um, this was always Rob. Rob always used Trello. I don't know if he still. Do, I bet he's still using Trello. Like he would, he would constantly like email. Like if he was going to not respond to an email thread right away, he would like, like email it to his Trello board. And he was very aggressive about like forcing everything into that. Which I'm probably so I'm probably going to have to adopt something like that because I don't I don't think there exists a tool that will actually like look at all the places where I'm getting people reaching out to me and like just give me that unified inbox. Like there appear to be some tools that do do a little bit of that but a lot of them are like focused on like unifying your quasi text messages which is that doesn't encompass for me it's like emails slack dms slack threads in shared channels there's like a whole bunch of like places where conversations are occurring for me right now and yeah i wonder if there is a i mean maybe there's a product there you know like a unified inbox and like you just do the heavy lifting of connecting to everything as, as best you can um but i feel I kind of feel like email is that. Like I think just about everything will send you an email if you have a new whatever. My my problem with that because I used to do this with like GitHub stuff, right? But like the problem is I get the email and I get the notification in the actual application itself. And if I'm spending time in the application, chances are I'm going to see at least part of the time I'll see the not- notification there and take yeah. care of it. But then I go over my email inbox and the state is not synchronized. So it's an unre- right. it's an unopened email. So it's just a big processing burden of like, nope, already took care of that. Uh, did I take care of that already? I don't know. Let me click through and see if I took care of it already. And mm-hmm. it's just thrashing. Yeah, it's tricky. I'm not sure that's a solvable thing. Like if yeah. everyone committed to having like a great API for any of their notifications, you know, anyone that built an inbox inbox agreed to like support various things like, you know, notify, like notify and also deal with, uh, you could maybe build a really like slick product that was like, here's everything in one spot. Yeah. Because that's the thing about notifications are broken in most apps. Like, because what they do is they show it to you. And as soon as you look at it, it's gone. It's not like held in a place where you have to like click a keyboard shortcut to dismiss it. 
And Mm -hmm. that's what more things need. That was a core part of level was like, if something, if you were mentioned in in a conversation, it would make flow into your inbox and you had to explicitly dismiss it or else it would stay there until you took action. And that that. just almost nobody does that. Yeah, no, it's good. And and like, there's some places like don't have like a, it's like a a hack for that is like Marcus unread, but then a Mm -hmm. lot of places don't even have that. So it's like, I saw your thing. Okay, it's gone. Well, so so for me, it's just like, okay, now I, I go create it to do. Like, I have to just like do a thing. Yeah. And OmniFocus has like a nice like quick keyboard shortcut, quick entry thing where it's just like pop up in a window no matter where I am and like type, 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 mm-hmm. done. So mm-hmm. for me, it's it's actually usually pretty quick to capture that kind of thing. Respond to okay. Derek's DM or whatever. Okay. All right. OmniFocus. I recommend that. I think that's the Looking best option it. given the constraints mm-hmm. of the world. Okay. All right. Good to know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had one more thing which is i had this I, I, I remembered the other day i think i had forgotten which is that at one point there was only one list of online users in tuple mm. it's like right l- yeah yeah like when we first made it there were no teams it was just literally <laughs> everyone who had the a paid universe account the tuple universe showed up <laughs> on, the, on the online users list and i remember like how incredible it was the first time i saw people who weren't us on there yeah it was just like wait, why am I seeing... I, like, at first, I thought it was a bug. It's like, <laughs> oh, God, we're showing like Adam is online. This is this. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, wait, he is online. Oh, my God, yeah. we have customers. This is incredible. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then I remember like it kind of growing and expanding and getting bigger and bigger. And then like people were like, kind of weird to see all these random people on here. Mm-hmm. And then I remember like one day, like we, had, we wrote the code to like make it so you only saw people on your team. And it was like, yeah. wow, what a, what a thing. Uh, <laughs> How funny. Yeah, that yeah. would be many, many thousands of people. So it will never go mm-hmm. back. That would be a big list. Um, would be a big list. <laughs> yeah. That was kind of like a hilarious memory. I was like, yeah, like it, I, I, I for, you forget how many things you had to write that didn't exist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I do. I still still remember when my, like in my little admin area, the list of customers that I remember when that was unpaginated. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yes, yep. exactly. I yep. remember the same thing. Adding, I remember when we added pagination to the list of teams. Yeah. It's a good. That's the whole it's thing. A good milestone. It's like, oh, it's loading too slowly. Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. Or like we had a team big enough that had enough users that like even the team loaded to, too slowly, and so we like mm-hmm. had to address that. Yeah. yeah. I remember hearing that like in the early days of Stripe, the Collisons had um, all of the API requests triggered an email to their inboxes. Oh my gosh! <laughs> wow. So they could see every request coming in and what the response was. To, like keep an eye on things. Yeah. It's like what a what a thing. Or like every i remember for us like every payment notification every time we made any, mm-hmm. any dollar yep and turn remember turning that off as like a big moment yep i still have a hilariously yeah. manual process built in right now where upgrades and downgrade like usage based upgrades and downgrades still come through as an email to me like so it's like increase this user with this id to this <laughs> many seats and then i give myself a link t- directly to their subscription in stripe so i can just click it and go do it <laughs> and it's like one, it's just a really good visibility for me. I'll probably like at some point when I automate it, I'll just convert it into just a little report that tells me here are the changes we just made automatically for you. But um, what it has allowed me to do is continue to like um, handle certain things on a case by case. Like if I see something that just looks a little bit off, I'm like, I don't think this person is a team, but they've just increased their seat count. And then I can look and see like they're, they misunderstood something and like added a, a, a an email address that really shouldn't have been added to a team and like they shouldn't be paying for it. And like, sometimes I'll just kind of follow up manually or, um, or like right now I just kind of 
there's a feature that we're we're shipping soon, but like we don't quite support it yet. And so the workaround is to add like another email address to a team. And but I just told this person on an individual basis, like I won't charge you until since we're going to ship ship this feature anyways. And this allows me to like kind of make that decision manually and like and not have to like wrestle with an automated billing engine that's trying to auto upgrade. You know, yeah. So yeah. it's been a nice nice thing to have and. But there will come a day where I outgrow that. We're getting so much expansion revenue. I can't. Mm-hmm. It's too much of a burden to go in and manually adjust. <laughs> Someday. Yeah. That'd be great. Yep. I do you remember like automating the like sign up process for the first time? And it's like, wow. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because yep. I was like, I was, li- I was literally generating invoices for people and emailing them to them and then yeah. waiting for them to pay them and then going into the Rails console and being like team.create. Mm-hmm. Then, like, let me email you your, you know, login information or like the. It was it was quite a it was quite a time, and that was, that was us for a while actually. That yeah, was many that was months months after yeah. launching. Yeah, I remember that. Kind of stayed in that phase for a while. Yeah, yeah. it was, it was mm. cool. It was kind of fun. It's good stuff. Yeah. All right, I gotta run. All right. See you later. Take it easy. Bye. Bye.